Is there any hope of reforming our financial and political systems? And what price do you pay for being a whistleblower? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Michael Winston's story has been told extensively in the media. He's the executive who called out Countrywide Financial, the giant provider of single-family mortgages, for fraud and predatory lending practices. The company's subsequent failure was one of the events that triggered the collapse of the mortgage market in the Great Recession of 2007 and 2008. You might think that Winston deserves a medal for his actions, especially since he turned down a $10 million-plus settlement because it would have allowed Countrywide and its new owner, Bank of America, to escape culpability for their actions. Instead, he lost what appeared to be an open-and-shut lawsuit in appellate court and was blackballed by the financial industry. Today, he'll tell what happened to him and how he continues to fight, despite the fact that no high-level player in the mortgage and banking world has gone to prison for their role in the crash. And he'll talk about how we need to reform the system to prevent future misbehavior and influence peddling in finance. So here is my conversation with Michael Winston. Michael Winston, welcome to the program. Thank you. John Stumpf was forced out yesterday as CEO of Wells Fargo. I don't imagine you're doing a big victory dance about that, are you? Uh, victory dance? No. These are systemic issues industry-wide. So they got one of the bad guys. I don't think he was the worst bad guy. He is an offender. No, I only wish retroactively they'd have done this to, first of all, my guy, Angelo Mazzillo, who started this whole thing out. At Countrywide? At Countrywide, yes. Right. We were promised transparency. We were promised accountability eight years ago. We were promised a resurgence of the rule of law. And alas, <laughs> the three things I'm certain we haven't gotten is transparency, accountability, and the rule of law. Now, is it true that you've called the Wells Fargo debacle the worst fraud ever perpetrated upon a global economy? Were you referring to Wells Fargo when you said that? Oh, no. I was referring to everything. Uh, oh, th well, thank you for your kind attention to re reading those things. <laughs> no, the greatest unpunished crime in recorded history started with the J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America and country. I, I thought I actually saw the birth of it almost immediately upon my arrival at Countrywide. This is even in light of the SNL crisis earlier and the subsequent meltdown of mortgage markets. Well, the mortgage markets obviously is related directly to the Countrywide situation. So uh, we've had lots of financial frauds in our history, but you, you really are saying that that was the one for you that was the signature one? Not only for me, but my partner, one of my co-founders, Bill Black, was the leading government prosecutor of the SNL crisis. And according to Bill, the SNL crisis was one one hundred seventieth. that's one slash 
over 170 the size of the 2007 and 2008 market meltdown, subprime loans initiating and, and exotic trades initiating. One 170th, and Bill was almost single-handedly responsible for imprisoning almost 1,000 people. So look at the contrast, Bob, between something that was a mere tiny fraction of the most recent meltdown and almost a thousand people did jail time. They were not only indicted, they were prosecuted largely by him. So almost a thousand people went to jail for that. And here we are all these years later with something that was 170 times greater in pain factors, scope and scale, and not one of the architects of this financial morass that we've been in have been even indicted let alone prosecuted. So things have definitely changed. Now, your story at Countrywide and subsequently Bank of America has been told many times uh, in many forums, so we don't need to go back over that right now. What I'd like to do is go directly to solutions, ways in which you think that this state of affairs could be fixed on multiple fronts. And I want to start with what companies should be doing. You've laid out something on the order of maybe 14 major points that you think companies should be doing and others should be doing in order to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We don't have time for all of them, obviously, but would you tell me what some of those major ones are, the most important things you do that should happen within businesses themselves in order to prevent another countrywide or some similar type of malfeasance? I will tell you this. I believe there are enough rules and laws on the books. But given that if one accepts that and that we have a Glass-Steagall, we have Dodd-Frank, there's regulations up the kazoo. But you have to enforce them. And I saw firsthand that there was no law enforcement. In fact, the government is working overtime to create loopholes to give their clientele, which they believe, I don't know if they see the big banks as their clients, I see the big banks as their owners, their overlords. It's kind of like when Obama said, I think, to the Syrians, you, you, well, you've just crossed my red line. You better watch out. And nothing happened after they crossed the red line. The government decided to go into self-regulation, as a, and they're still talking about it. You see uh, Hillary Clinton, when some of her speeches are revealed, she advocated that Goldman Sachs is the company that can best come up with the playbook to enable us to avoid the kind of systemic fraud, market manipulation, and just blatant insider trading that we suffered from for years. And I saw firsthand for years. So it just seems to me, and, and, and we're still seeing some of the same thing. I'm not going to take a partisan view here, but it hasn't escaped my attention and notice and other people's that when Martha Stewart lied to the director of the FBI, she was thrown in jail. Well, if you put together James Comey's statements, he's acknowledging that Hillary Clinton lied to the director of the FBI. And somehow she gets to skate. She gets away scot-free. So I think the rule of law needs to be reinstated. 
What's happened since the SNL crisis, however? I mean, banks have always been powerful. They've always had a lot of political power, going all the way back to the House of Morgan and the dawn of big banking. Why all of a sudden in these last few years has have things become different? Oh, because banks are the major donors to these. You but know, they've always been major donors, have they not? Yeah, but a bank is now a person, right? It's an entity. So given the interpretation of some of the laws, look, I have access to films where congressmen and senators are heard saying, of of course, if they're funding my campaign $50 million and they ask me for preferential treatment, of course, I'm going to give it to them. That's what's happening. I, I think what's happened, Bob, is sort of like a kid in a candy store, if you tell them not to touch and you let them touch, then more, not only are they going to keep touching, but they're going to invite all their friends in to keep touching. I remember during my early conversations with Gretchen Morganson, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner at the New York Times. And when I found out the day before the article was released that she was doing a piece on me, she mentioned the term deferred prosecution. And I had never heard of that term. That was maybe 2010. And I said, that's an interesting term. What does that mean? Somebody breaks the law. What does that mean, deferred prosecution? Deferred until when? (laughs) What was her answer? Oh, approximately never. Ironic use of the term then in in, in saying deferred. Absolutely. Permanently permanently deferred. Yeah. They were just asking the banks to self-regulate. And we've already seen in case after case after case, that they haven't self-regulated. And I I do think it's interesting that Barack Obama, whom I voted for the first time, and talked about whistleblowers as heroes, as American patriots. Well, he's the one who has imprisoned more whistleblowers than all of his predecessors combined. And I wait in fear day after day that the same thing might, the same fate might lie in store for me. And my kids love me dearly and they, they don't want that. But I, I do think it's interesting that while talking about the evils of bankers, President Obama was pushing billions to them. And I remember at the same time he was pontificating about the evils of the uh, pharmaceutical industry. And again, while talking about the evils of the big insurance companies, He's generously doling out tens of billions to them. So if you say one thing and do another, it's sort of like Simon says, people do what you do. They don't care what you say if what you do doesn't mirror that. But, Michael, it was an appellate court that overturned the judgment in your favor in countrywide B of A matter. It wasn't Obama administration. Those were judges on a, sitting on a court. So is that part of the cronyism or is that just a poor legal ruling or what's going on there? Quite frankly, I wasn't even thinking of my own situation when I was uh, responding to your question. Hmm, the appellate court, either inept or corrupt, because all the evidence that they say I didn't submit, I have, and I see almost every day. I'm writing a series of books about this. And by the way, they got out of it by saying I had no evidence to prove my case. Now, I had never been to court before. I've never sued a company before. Actually, I've never sued anybody before. I sued because I thought, well, having complained to the SEC and the DOJ and finally the district attorney and seen that 
they were just sweeping it under the rug. I thought, well, I, I, I need to bring this out because there are a lot of countrywide customers and they're all being defrauded, every one of them. And I'm trying to give them an early warning sign. But when they said, Michael Winston had no evidence, I had a 31-day trial. It was the longest trial in Los Angeles County to date of, of the preceding 12 months. They don't give people 31-day trials if there is no evidence. And I had three witnesses who were already in the courtroom waiting to provide further testimony. And the judge interrupted us when we were about to call the first of the three who was in the courtroom. And the judge said, Mr. Matthews, that's the name of my lawyer, could you please direct the plaintiff and tell him that this court and this jury have already seen enough and heard enough. No more evidence required. You've met the sufficiency requirements twice over. Which the appellate court said obviously overturned that statement or, or didn't rely on that statement. So again, you say it's either ineptitude or the cronyism extends all the way into the court system. It seems oh, like I'm, I'm positive the cronyism ex, uh, extends into the court system. Okay, well, I, I see you, it. All right, we, are, we are limited in time, and I do want yes. to talk about solutions. You've come out of this battle with some ideas as to how others will not have to suffer the way that you did. If certain policies are passed and certain governance rules are imposed within companies themselves, let's start with what companies should and can be doing. What are some of the big points, the major points that you set out that companies should be doing now to improve governance, take responsibility for what they do, and not reward their executives for malfeasance? Well, uh, thank, you, thank you for teeing up the question as you did and starting our conversation the way you did, because thank goodness they pressured the CEO of Wells Fargo such that he's out. Now, th what they should have done is fired him, not allowed him to retire, but at least people see maybe the government is starting to get serious or starting to listen to their constituents that are saying, hey, wait a second, it's supposed to be equal justice under the law. Why do these people, people keep getting out of it? Of course, like most people, I think these banks are too rich, too powerful, and too big to govern. If, as they said, these banks are too big to fail, and then consequently they are too big to jail, well, we need to break them up. We didn't have nearly so much trouble 40 and 50 years ago when we relied more upon the community banks, which is a great solution. So I would break them up and I'd break them up again, like a Bonomo's Turkish taffy bar. Huh. I would, I'd keep doing it. Yeah. Or I'd create such stringent and onerous rules and regulations that the big banks say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to hive off this piece of us and that piece of us. And, and by the way, and the, I think they should elevate, I think whistleblowers, a term, by the way, that I didn't know I was when I, I learned I was a whistleblower when Gretchen called me the night before that New York Times article and told me the title. You know, I had come from 13 years at Motorola. Motorola was a continuous improvement company, and they were known for having pioneered in fact, I knew Bill Smith, who was the originator of Six Sigma, which became one of the largest and most widespread used corporate initiative in history. 
And Six Sigma says anytime there is a defect, you work it out of the system. Systematically, you work it out, you anticipate it, you address it immediately. So that, boy, that's, when I was hired to create for Countrywide a Goldman Sachs on the Pacific, which those were the words of the hiring manager, I thought, oh, that's what I'll do. If I see something they're doing wrong, I'll fix it or advise them to fix it or tell them how they can do it better. I didn't know I was being a whistleblower, especially since I spent six months trying to get them to correct their own malfeasance. You're saying, Michael, that we need to elevate this whole idea of whistleblowing to actually root out fraud and corruption in companies. But there are things that companies themselves maybe should be doing. Now, I assume that Stumpf is going out with a nice package. Would you of say? You are saying, are you not, that companies should require their executives to reimburse for their incentive compensation and not be rewarded in any way if they are caught in this type of a situation. Would that be something that companies should do in their own bylaws, or is that a legal thing that should be done over and above all companies? Both. I think it should be in their own bylaw. BAC talked about clawing back and, and insisting that executives claw back if their earnings are restated, for example, or if malfeasance is proven to be done. Well, that was eight years ago. I would ask CEO how many people have had their bonuses clawed back. I'll bet you, if there are any, I'll bet you can count them on half the fingers of one hand. So here again, right now, Banks see fraud as a continuing part of their revenue stream. That's their business model. They make more money defrauding their customers than by actually providing Six Sigma customer service. As long as that happens and as long as people aren't punished for it, hey, this is going to continue. When my thing happened, the reason I thought it was important is that I wanted, as you probably heard, I was offered a $10 million plus settlement plus i don't uh, i don't want to say how and i re refused it because because and they thought i was nuts but i said no uh, I, I will take it i you know someone said what's the matter are you allergic to money no i like money as much as the next guy but i want to know number one i want countrywide to take ownership of what they did to admit their guilt and you guys, Bank of America, that's easy for you to do because they're gone now. So you can simply say, hey, you know, we got fooled along with the rest of them. And then I said, and what are you going to do differently? I want some metrics against which we can track you. And uh, I was told nothing doing. So I said, uh, my exact words were, well, then you can offer me $100 million and I'm not going to take it. Well, clearly you saw that not as a settlement, but as a payoff. It was a gag order, yeah. Yeah, and you rejected it. Now, so you're asking for there to be more self-evaluation, more taking accountability within organizations. How can we hold regulatory bodies accountable for compliance as well, though? Don't reelect them when they fail to do the job for which they've been hired, when they abjectly fail to do any of the elements of the job for which they've been hired. You have these guys who are regulators who are failing to regulate. And how you see that is the revolving turnstile. Three years later, they end up with cushy jobs in, in these same law, law firms or banks, pardon me. It's kind of ridiculous. I think people are looking for more complex, arcane solutions. I think if you hold people accountable and that, look, that means that 
I do believe in, in the earliest of my psychology trainings, which say that people do that for which they are rewarded. And what gets, reward, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And people don't do that which gets punished. And what gets punished gets extinguished. It is no more. I think maybe with the CEO of Wells Fargo, we've taken the first step. Shame on us for waiting 30 years before taking, or 30 years plus before taking this first step. They end up, if he's giving back $41 million, how much is he taking? These people are not noblesse oblige. They're, they are not generous to a fault. And any loophole that they can find, they do find. I want to ask you if you are at all afraid that the experience that you underwent, the nightmare that you underwent at Countrywide and with B of A, are you afraid that might scare off or has scared off other whistleblowers? And what hope is there for whistleblowers in this world today? You, I believe, are, are, have been instrumental in the formation of, of this um, bank, Whistleblowers United. Yes. Is there hope for whistleblowers today? Well, yeah, I think there's some hope. The, the whistleblower protections that, that they claim exist, I don't know where they were because I've been going through my ordeal, and I'm still going through it, by the way. I've been going through my ordeal for a decade. You know, they blackball you. They affirmatively call anyone who's thinking of hiring you. Most people have accounts with Bank of America or J.P. Morgan Chase, and all of a sudden you find that whereas you were being recruited for extremely high-level C-suite positions, the entire, I mean, I did that for 33 years, and I was recruited maybe four or five times a month. It's like I'm a leper. And so too say my colleagues, but I'm still fighting and still looking for projects to do. And, and my case will one day again be served up in court because there's just too much evidence. Again, the, the appeals court guys said there's no evidence. And, and they cited certain documents that in their ruling that they said, if only he had those documents. Well, not only did I have them, but they're Bates stamped, which means submitted to the court clerk and admitted as evidence. So they're, they're just making this stuff up. Do you still have a chance of Supreme Court review or has that been turned down? Well, it's the, the California Supreme Court has been turned down and I'm bucking statute of limitations, but I'm hoping that the fact that my daughter was in a life and death situation for two years shortly after this, their ruling, and she was. I, I had to move to New Jersey, got a house in New Jersey, which is where she lived and stayed there for two years. The month after I came back, I got, after a lifetime of health, I got laryngeal cancer, and I still have laryngeal cancer, and there will be days when I don't have a voice at all. So I'm hoping these extenuating circumstances extend the statute of limitations. I'm trying. It's, you know, there's a burden, but of course, the media has my story. They don't have the whole thing, but uh, we're trying to get it out there and hopefully, hope. but I, I didn't do this for money. I did, I did this so that the banks would reform and people had an early warning indicator of imminent fraud and they could know early on if they were being defrauded. If you had the opportunity, and of course we never do, to live this again and knew how it was going to play out, would you have gone through this experience you know, willingly? That's, that's my most frequently asked question. So I'll, 
And now I bifurcated. I, I never bifurcated it, but my problem started when I was in a toxic building and so were 1,100 other people. And people were complaining they couldn't breathe, that the air was toxic, and, and it was. Uh, we had people quitting, people being taken out of that, this building in an ambulance and going to the emergency room. It was horrible. And I kept telling the countrywide people, you need to mitigate this circumstance. They did nothing. And I said, eventually, I w I, if you don't do anything, I'll be forced to call Cal OSHA. And I did. Once that happened, over time, my staff fell from 230 to two. My budget fell from $28 million to zero. Our initiatives fell from 36 to one. And I was actually uninvited to meetings that I had chaired. But, but actually, I had like a two-month hiatus where they just, I think they thought I was about to fall or just resign. But I'd had eight people who moved across the country, having worked for me before, who wanted to do so again. And they uprooted their families and moved to the West Coast. So I wasn't going to leave them that easily. But it was when I was asked to defraud Moody's ratings agency and outright lie and I rejected that. That's when the retaliation came very heavy. You made that decision, obviously, to stick it out and fight. So the answer to the question is, would I have blown the whistle on Countrywide, knowing what I know now? Absolutely. Would I have been as hard-nosed about rejecting the settlement? I think 99% of the story had been told, although I'm writing uh, a quadrilogy to document this because I, I believe the entire financial services segment needs to be overhauled. And I'm, I, I write every day. But most of the story of Countrywide got out. And what I didn't realize is that the courts attack you with a venom when you turn down a settlement because they're so used to companies not admitting guilt that that's the standard. They think, well, you've been harmed. You're being given eight figures to help you lick your wounds and start your career again. Just go away. Well, I didn't. As I think it through, maybe I, I could have negotiated more. But I think people need to admit what they did before they can start over. And Countrywide was unwilling to do so. And Bank of America just wanted to fight me to death. And yes, I know from um, Louis Clark, who's the president of uh, the Government Accountability Project, I know that a lot of whistleblowers are afraid to come forward because of what happened to Michael Winston. Michael, I do want to reference your one book, World Class Performance, The Commitment, The Pursuit, The Achievement. Um, we'll refer to that. We'll uh, link to it in our show notes to the episode. And there's so much more that you're producing that uh, we can, we're looking forward to hearing from you in the future on. But in the meantime, unfortunately, we are at a time, and, and I do want to thank you so much for spending time with us to talk about your situation and the larger question of what we need to do in order to bring our financial sector to, back to where it might have been before and to, and, and to uh, clean it up. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. That was my conversation with Michael Winston, the whistleblower who brought down the mortgage giant Countrywide Financial. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. 
and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.